Grand Canyon University's RN to BSN online degree program makes earning your bachelor's in nursing possible. Balance online coursework with local in-person clinicals to position yourself for potential leadership opportunities in the time you have from wherever you are. Leaving room for what matters. Achieve your goals with your personalized plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. Affirmative Murders, the Equal Opportunity Podcast, created to shed a light on the darker side of true crime. Join me, Alvin Williams, and my co-host, Francel Evans, as we bring you minority stories that you may not have heard of and try to... Look, man, I'm over here trying to do the promo, and you're slurping on that drink like a crazy person. Well, for one, I'm thirsty, and for two, that was trash. Give me a try. Oh, please, show me how it's done, Mr. Promo Master. Okay, let me get my cassette tape going. A cassette tape? Yes, man, quiet down, quiet down. Let me go. Let me flip it because that was, that was messed up. Any day now, man. These damn buttons. One more time. One more time. Yeah. Oh, got it. Hey, I'm Fran Starr from the hottest true crime podcast in the streets, Affirmative Murder, the equal opportunity podcast that sheds a light on the darkest side of true crime. So check us out every week wherever you listen to podcasts. Also join us once a month for our bonus episodes, Cereal and Cereal, where we watch cereals and eat cereal. That was that was pretty good. Um, be sure to rate and subscribe. All right, man, let's go home. I'm hungry. Thank you for listening to the Martinis and the Macabre podcast. This show contains graphic content and explicit language. It is intended for immature adult audiences. Listener discretion is advised. who's quickly becoming my favorite customer. Why is that? She's like 60. Sweetest lady. She comes and she acts like she's very grandmotherly, you know. She'll come Mm -hmm. in. No matter who you are, she'll call you sweetie. Stuff like that. And she came in, you know, uh, she's come in about three or four times so far. And she like one time she came in, she was like, oh, hey, sweetie. I'm like, oh, hey, how you been? She said, I've been good. You smell so nice. And I'm like, oh, thanks. I knew you were coming, so I wanted to make sure I was pretty. For those of you that want to know what uh, Snuggle Bunny smells like, it's light blue Dolce & Gabbana. So if you ever smell it, you'll be like, hey, I'm smelling Billy. Anyway, so she always shows up maybe about five minutes before I'm about to leave. So the night person's already there, kind of taking over, and I'm Mm -hmm. getting my stuff together. She is the world's slowest driver. And when I leave, about 80% of the time, she's in front of me. And we get to the intersection. If it's red... She's not looking at the light. Like today, she had to bend over and grab something, I guess, from the fucking floorboard. And it was red. Mm-hmm. So I honk. My window's down. I honk. She flips me off. This is like the third time. She flips me off and she's like, fuck you. And I'm like, fuck you, you dirty old bat. I hope you fucking wreck. She's like, go fuck yourself. And then she turns into the gas station and I just keep going. We know that. But every time she comes in, she's like, hey, sweetie. I'm like, oh, hey, honey. 
we have, we have this great relationship outside of work. We will threaten to murder each other, but in that store, we are as cordial. She's as aware polite. that it's she knows you. who I am. Yeah, totally. And that never comes up in your interaction. No, nope. nope. we have a separate relationship outside the store. When she's driving, I hope she gets in her wreck and they got to pull her teeth out of the fucking steering wheel. But when she's in the store, I just want to put her in my pocket and feed her Skittles because she's adorable. <laughs> okay. She's like my favorite customer. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, guys. Welcome to Martinis and the Macabre, the podcast where we drunkenly discuss morbid murders, mysteries, and mayhem. My name is Erica. I'll be your host this evening, joined by my lovable yet hateful husband, Billy. My back hurts so bad. I know, honey. I, I told Billy, welcome to the club. I've been having back pain for like the past two weeks. It's getting worse and worse. I I couldn't even lift my fucking ego right now. My self-esteem, I couldn't even pick it up. Wow. That's bad. I know. But you know what's good? What? Our podcast has a home! Yay, we have a network. We have a home on the Murderly True Crime Podcast Network. Surely by now... We are actually recording this on our launch day. So by the time this comes out, you will have seen, if you're on our Facebook group and Twitter and everything, that we've announced this. And hopefully you've listened to the mini-sode collaboration we did with so many great podcasts that are on the network with us. And hopefully you guys found some new stuff to listen to because we think they're all great. So yeah, that's our exciting news for this episode. This is our first one officially under Murderly. Yay! But that's why we've been a little absent the past month or so. Doing a lot of stuff behind the scenes. Things are changing up. Not just with that. I'm transitioning into a new job right now. And there's been a lot of, you know, personal family things going on. So it's been kind of hectic. So our apologies for being so absent. And thank you for sticking with us. And hopefully, like I said, you guys have found some other cool shit to listen to. I mean, there's murder and such, and the fat pod, and shows that, you know, we had already interacted with before even getting on the network, so... All Crime, No Cattle, I think. Mm -hmm. um, There's the Altered... Fiercely Altered Projected, the fat podcast, based on a true crime. Yeah, we've had, had interactions with a lot of these podcasters. Some of them we haven't, and it's... A great experience just kind of interacting with them and and then we find this out it really to me is comparable to you have a friend all summer you're hanging out with and then you realize on the first day of school you're in the same class mm-hmm. so you're like oh hey you're here too yeah so, yeah that's cool it's neat so of course big thanks to brian and chris at murderly for giving us this opportunity it means a lot but our biggest thanks goes to you guys Without you listening and supporting and sharing, we wouldn't be where we are now. This is like, we never expected this. So, thanks to you a thousand percent. We never expected it. But now, I expect more. (laughs) And uh, we'll try not to let it get to our heads. We're still Erica and Billy. I'll sign something if you want. (laughs) And, uh... (laughs) Billy actually chose the topic that we're going to be discussing tonight. I chose this a while back. Yeah, this is something he chose a while back, and we already had this planned. This was scheduled. Yeah. So, just a forewarning, we know that recently there have been several 
celebrity or well-known people that have committed suicide. And we are totally cognizant of that. And we're not poking fun at that. And we are totally not trying to poke fun at that. The topic we're covering is seppuku, which is sometimes referred to as harakiri, which is a form of Japanese ritual suicide committed by disembowelment. So, although this is a topic involving suicide, we... We're more, we're more focusing on, like, it's a cultural difference, and it's seen in that culture as we, they, don't look at it like, they don't look at it like we do. Yeah. And that's okay. This is a form of retaining your honor, not, you know, you're done with this world and you just want it to be done and over with. So, although we do see a, a parallel theme here, this is in no way something that we intended to happen. And we are aware of it. And if you are sensitive about this kind of subject matter, maybe try the next one. You can skip it. <laughs> and we'll put in the show notes, you know, a suicide awareness hotline. And people are out there to help. And yeah, what I always say is, you know, through all the classes I had to take involving suicide stuff is the way I see it is the planet's been here for billions of years. It's going to be here for billions more. You've got 100. Yeah. You've got, about You've got a blink. You know, so just stick it out. That's, you know, that's how I look at it. But we're actually going to be talking about the process. Yeah. How how it's done, why it's done. And it's more of a cultural thing than it is a suicide thing. And we planned this shit (laughs) long ago. Yes, this was already planned. As I said, you may have heard it called harakiri. Um, That's kind of the more common term. But the term seppuku is derived from two Sino-Japanese roots, setsu, which means to cut, and puku, which means belly. And I'm sure I will be mispronouncing some of the things I say during this episode, and my apologies in advance. Yeah, she's usually (laughs) really good at pronouncing stuff, but this one I think it will give you a run for your money. I don't know. We'll see. Um, Seppuku harikiri. That's about it. That's about all I got. (laughs) The more familiar term outside of Japan, harakiri, means literally cutting the stomach. Both are written with the same kanji, but in reverse order, and with an okuragana, which are suffixes to Japanese written words for the purpose of inflection or to force the kanji to be read a specific way. Seppuku is kind of the more formal term that's usually used in writing, and harakiri is typically used in speech. Which is probably why more people have heard of harakiri because we, as an American people, don't generally know how to write Japanese. I know seppuku more than I do harakiri. But the way I understood it is, like, the coroner would list your death as a suicide, but your friend would say they killed themselves. Like, that's seppuku and harakiri. Like, that's, they mean the same thing, but one just... It's stated differently. One's yeah. like sounds sounds like one's more official, and one is like this is what the dude did. Yeah, and seppuku was originally it wasn't for everyone. It was originally just a samurai practice done, and it was done to keep or restore honor for themselves or their family. When done voluntarily, it was usually done in battle, so that the samurai could die with honor as opposed to falling into enemy hands where they would likely be tortured. Or just having to live your life, de- 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 like 
they would also look at it as in like people would see you and be like oh look he was defeated so yeah. it's kind of like a way to save face but it was also a form of capital punishment for samurai who committed serious offenses or who had done something shameful the first recorded act of seppuku was performed way way back in 1180 and only really unofficially tapered out in world war ii the original practice of seppuku just involved the act itself only combining ceremony with it during the Edo period, which was about 1600 to 1867. Of course, if it was on the battlefield, there wasn't exactly time for a whole to do. So let's kind of go over the entire official ritual in detail. Which is weird because in World War II, you would think that the Japanese general or whoever, you know, you know how every general has an aide, and the aide is usually a colonel or whatever, is like you would be like do your battle briefings and you know the colonel probably has a sword and you know and he knows what that sword is for in a worst case scenario like do you address that do you mm-hmm. address like why are you carrying why are you carrying that man you're kind of making me feel like i'm not feeling very confident right now you carry that <laughs> fucking sword with you man this is a good battle plan i'm laying out why do you mm-hmm. why do you have that exactly well for a planned seppuku The setting was serene as the samurai would reflect on life. He would be bathed and dressed in the Shini Shozuku, which is an all-white kimono worn for death. He was given a last meal, comprised of his favorite foods, so much like what we give our prisoners before their execution. He was also given a ceremonial drink of sake. One source uh, that I found stated that he would only be allowed four sips because the number four in Japanese is she, which also means death in Japanese. And I found out when I was in Korea that most hospitals in Japan and in China, because in China and Korea, they're, they're closer than they are to Japan. And the number four looks like the character they use for death. So that's where the morgue is in the hospital. It's always on the fourth floor. Where's ours? Like in the basement? Mm, yeah. Usually down low, but yeah, fourth floor. He would kneel on both knees and then sit, sometimes on special clothes, with his lower legs and feet tucked underneath him. A cloth and the cutting implement were placed on a tray near him, along with writing utensils. The weapon could either be a tanto, which is a knife, or a wakazashi, which is a short sword. Some people kind of think of long swords when they think of samurai, but... The length of those swords didn't really allow for an easy disembowelment. I mean, it'd kind of be like trying to kill yourself with a long gun, like a rifle or a shotgun. Yeah, it'd be like, you know... Like, it could be done, but it would... Yeah, like, you would have to use, like... Like, if you had an M1, which they used in World War II, the big, long rifle, you know? Mm-hmm. If you want to do it, you could do it. It could be done, but you would have to probably take your boot off and your sock... And use your toe to pull the trigger. It's just a long weapon. And anybody who's ever seen an actual samurai sword... Samurai swords back then were actually... If I'm not mistaken, they were made for you. That was your sword. It it took measurements of your height, your arm reach, and everything. There's no... It was just... It's impractical. Yeah. And most samurai sword sets, you get... uh, the What's it called? Daisho? Or something like that. The, The main sword... That samurai are known for. The wakasashi and the tanto. Tanto goes in the small of your back. Wakasashi goes across the front. And then your main sword is on your side. 
Go ahead. I dig this stuff. So, with this stuff in place, the samurai would then place his own katana, or what was it you called it? I think it's a daisho. Daisho? Or daito. He would place his own um, sword in front of him, and then he would prepare for death by writing a death poem, or also called a farewell to life poem, called a jisei. Jisei? Jisei. Just sure. <laughs> J-I-S-E-I. Call it what you will. It was often considered uncouth or poor form to mention their impending death in the poem. And uh, I actually found three different death poems to read. The first is from Minamoto no Yorimasa, a defeated leader of a clan who is the first recorded case from 1180 CE. Like a fossil tree from which we gather no flowers, sad has been my life, fated no fruit to produce. It's pretty depressing. Burp. Yep. The second one is from General Tadamichi Kuribayashi, the Japanese commander-in-chief during the Battle of Iwo Jima, which was sent with a message on March 17th of 1945 to Imperial Headquarters. He apologized for failing to successfully defend Iwo Jima and expressed great pride in the heroism of his men, who had been reduced to fighting with rifle butts in their fists. Unable to complete this heavy task for our country, arrows and bullets all spent, so sad we fall. But unless I smite the enemy, my body cannot rot in the field. Yea, I shall be born again seven times and grasp the sword in my hand. When ugly weeds cover this island, my sole thought shall be the future of the Imperial land. What's weird is during World War II, although the Americans won, I kind of shudder to think what they thought when they went to the bunker that they just captured. And they're like, Sergeant, um, there's a guy here with his fucking head gone. And I know our weapons. They didn't do that. Sergeant, where are you going? Why are you crying? You know, like, they had to have seen a lot of that because the higher officers would do that. Instead of admit defeat or, you know, they would just commit seppuku. And it's like, to be the first American to walk up on that, it's like, what? Their fucking heads just fell off? (laughs) Well, this last one I put in just for the sheer humor. It was written by a Zen monk named Toko when he was 85. Death poems are mere delusion. Death is death. He sounded like he was really done. He's like, yeah. He's just like, the fuck is this shit? I'm gonna die. He's, he's like, all right, write your poem. All right. Poem, poem, poem. Poem, poem, poem. Yeah. Should have had more Sipsasaki. I'm fucking done. And these weren't just used for seppuku. It was kind of a tradition. If you knew death was, you know, an impending act that was coming, you know, it was just a matter of time people would write these death poems. So it wasn't just for seppuku. I just wanted to make sure that that's clear. So do you think the, um... Oh, what are they called? Why can't I think of that fucking word, Erica? I don't know. Kamikaze pilots. (laughs) Do you think they they wrote a poem before they flew off of their their, their carriers? I bet they did. I mean, they knew it was coming. That was their job, was to turn themselves into a missile so yeah i bet they did i bet they did well back to the ceremony it was actually a two-step process the first being disemboweling oneself 
but the second step involved a trusted friend or a swordsman of great skill called a Kaisha Kunin. The samurai sentenced to seppuku would pick this person out himself prior to the ceremony. That's an awkward fucking proposition to give a buddy. Yeah, and he, he better have chosen well, as the Keisha Kunin would be the one putting him out of his misery by decapitation in a few short moments. Now, the Keisha Kunin wasn't involved prior to the creation of the actual ceremony during the Edo period when it became a whole ritual. And they definitely weren't involved on the battlefield because there wasn't time to go pick somebody to take your head off. So those poor fuckers had to disembowel themselves and then pull the knife out and either stab themselves in the throat or fall from a standing position onto a blade positioned over his heart. So basically the Keisha Kunin were a godsend to the samurai performing seppuku, but it wasn't something anyone really wanted to be picked for. Yeah, but at the same time, when they're like, when that came about, like, just get some guy to lob it off. And, you know, the samurai who is committed to committing seppuku to, you know, restore some type of honor and everything. He's got to be like, oh, thank God. My cousin had to throw himself on a fucking sword, and it was a sight. It was a, <laughs> it was an ordeal. He missed twice. Had to get up. We had, we pretend like we didn't see it. Like, everything's cool. <laughs> and that's a lot of pressure on that poor guy, man. You got to get it. And more often than not, one swipe. Mm-hmm. You have to get And it's that's hard. It ain't like it is in movies, which we'll talk about. But... The samurai swords of those of the time, they, they, they mean they folded the metal. They used clay to keep it flexible and everything. But still, to one swipe. Actually, to be honest, you're probably gonna edit a lot of this shit out because I'm gonna talk about samurai. But if a samurai sword that was made for for a samurai was usually tested on prisoners or dead bodies, if it couldn't take a head off with one hit, then it was considered trash. It was just tossed. We're talking a thousand dollar weapon. Mm-hmm. This valuable is. Like, well, it didn't take the head off. Resharpen. Nah, it's a piece of shit now. <laughs> Just threw it away. Well, the people that were picked for this didn't necessarily want to be picked for it. In the Hagakuri, Yamamoto Tsutsu... You know how to say this because you have the Hagakuri. What is this? Yamamoto Tsunetomo. Oh, in the Hagakuri, Yamamoto Tsunetomo. Tsunetomo? Okay. He wrote, quote... From ages past, it has been considered an ill omen by samurai to be requested as keishaku. The reason for this is that one gains no fame, even if the job is well done. Further, if one should blunder, it becomes a lifetime disgrace. I think... No pressure. I think it's um, keishaku. Okay. K-A-I-Kai. Keishaku. I think. Isn't that what I said? I think you said keishaku. Doesn't really matter. Okay. Yeah, you'd hate to be that guy that fucked that up. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, there goes Earl, the guy that can't swing a fucking sword. <laughs> we'll get back to them in just a minute. You know, that has to be a weird, awkward thing, too. Like, Earl, listen, we've been friends for a long time. Yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. Heard you Heard you uh, disrespected, a, you know, an, a, a lord. Yeah, that's why I'm here. So, listen, Earl. Wait, wait. Steve? Are you about to fucking ask me what I think you're going to ask me? Because I really don't want to do this. Listen, next Wednesday. Next Wednesday, I'm cleaning out my fridge. Fridges aren't invented yet. But yeah, I'm saying. You know. I have to wash my hair. <laughs> with, with Bateman. Uh, I have to return some videotapes. <laughs> <laughs> well, like I said, we'll come back to them in a minute. Oh, one more thing. You have to know the guy that's going to lob your head off. While this is such a sacred ceremony, 
and it's so somber as it should be. That I mean, the Japanese people made this into a big thing. You know, he's standing there holding that sword, thinking he doesn't even give a shit about what's going on. He's just like, oh, your your part's coming. Your part's coming. Don't fuck up. Don't fuck up. Picture everybody naked. Everything's going to be fine. We practiced in the mirror for like five hours. I don't even know if we have mirrors right now, but I, we're pretty sure we did that. And I swiped so <laughs> much bamboo. I could do this. I could do Here it comes. Here it comes. I'm going to do it. <laughs> if it was me, I'd, like, I'd have done it and put my hands up with the sword. Like, score! Got him! <laughs> oh, sorry. 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 Oh. <laughs> this bow. Okay, go ahead. Well, once the death poem was completed, and the Kaishakunin, Kaishakunin, which? Kaishaku. Kaishakunin. Kaishakunin. Oh. Once that guy with the sword was in place nearby, the samurai would open his kimono to expose his chest and abdomen, and the cloth on the tray would be wrapped around the blade where the samurai would hold it. This was done so that his hand would not be cut and cause him to lose his grip on blood. Here's my question, and I'm sure you have the answer here. Don't be sure about that. <laughs> Why not just hold the, the handle? That's a surefire way of not. Because if they weren't using the tanto and they were using a longer one, sometimes their hand wouldn't necessarily reach the handle. I got that. I got that. But say it's a wakasashi. I could do it with a wakasashi. You don't have to wrap a, you don't have to wrap a cloth around it. Your people were smaller could, back then, Billy. Do you know what I want? You know what I wonder? And people on Facebook, feel free to let me know. Let me know I'm stupid. I wonder if the only time you hold it like that is when you're going to kill. Well, you are technically going to kill, but you know how they say like samurai sword. You'll never draw your sword unless you're you, you're going to use it. You never halfway draw and put it back. You pull it out and you need to kill something because you just drew your sword. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe it's because they're not killing an enemy. They're not going to touch the handle. So they wrap a cloth around the blade and do it that way. I don't know. I don't know. Hmm. Good. Okay. Kaishukun. Once he had his handle on the blade, he would insert the blade into his abdomen close to the ribs. Now, some sources say that they would cut left to right and others say that it just depended on the dominant hand. The fear of stabbing himself could have created a reaction in the brain that sends chemicals to the heart and skeletal muscles. An autonomic response like this would increase his respirations and heart rate and would cause his muscles to tense. I just realized something. Oh my god, why didn't I ever think of this? The Japanese people at the time believed that when you're born, you take your first breath. That first breath is actually your soul, and your soul is kept in your stomach. It's called hara. It's kept in your hara. Yeah. And so you cut your stomach. You release your soul to, son of a bitch, I just figured that out. I'm 30. It took until this many years old. Yep. Hadn't gotten to that part yet. Edit that out. <laughs> Fuck. I feel kind of smart. You wrote that down, but I hadn't got there yet. Cool. All right, so... An autonomic response like this would increase his respirations and heart rate and would cause his muscles to tense. The tensing of the muscles would actually make the stab that much more difficult. That's when you know the Kaishiku's up. When you hear him go, (gasps) okay, go time, go time. He would then draw sharply across the gut, rotate the knife, and then yank upwards. And if he wanted his death to be especially honorable, he would then pull the knife out stab it into the lower abdomen, 
and pull it up through the previous cuts all the way to the sternum. He would feel intense pain, but possibly not right away. People that have survived stabbings report not feeling an immediate sharp pain, but more of like an impact, like a punch. But once the pain hit... (laughs) It was there. they, They were ready to die, for certain. I have a question. Like in martial arts, because I used to take martial arts, I used to be an assistant instructor and everything, uh, as far as Japanese martial arts go, you're not supposed to show pain. Like if you get hurt, you're supposed to keep that shit to yourself. Correct. So when they do that, or they're not supposed to yell out. If they do, they kind of, do they fuck it up? Do they kind of ruin their own ceremony? Haven't gotten to that yet. Man, I'm just not going to talk. Edit that out too. <laughs> now, if the slices were deep enough, internal organs would be cut. There aren't many first-hand accounts of what this feels like, as those people usually die. But women that have had C-sections without any anesthesia kind of have an idea. Who? I don't know if any woman had C-section without anesthesia. Um, Carl's mom. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, situations where you, you know, before modern anesthesia, and they would have to get the baby out, women and third world countries that you know the baby's not coming and they got to do something what i wonder is how do you lean forward you could use your back muscles but i I mean i'm not a nurse like you but i would think once i cut through my abdomen those muscles are now useless like they're like i can't use them i've pretty much just paralyzed my trunk that's gravity would kind of do it but you got to lean forward for the rest of the process so i don't know well one woman claimed that the pain was so intense that he, she gritted her teeth hard enough to break a tooth. That's pretty damn hard. And during the Civil War, surgeries were done without anesthesia all the time. So they would give soldiers something to bite on. There are actually surviving bullet artifacts with teeth marks in them that were bitten down on during surgeries. Okay, snuggle bunnies. Think about that. I'm full. Chalked full of trivial useless information erica what saying am i thinking of right now what when you bite the gold bite the bullet mm-hmm. you got to bite the bullet and that's why that's where it originated from was of uh, on-field surgeries during the civil war so you can only imagine the intensity of this pain and how surely the samurai must have screamed out right screaming or yelling out is a naturally programmed response to our bodies experiencing major injury It triggers the body's fear response, which then pumps out those chemicals meant to keep you alive. And if you're ever stabbed by the love of God, please scream. It's okay. Yeah. You can do it. You can do it. Not going to get mad. We'll we'll let you. But the samurai? He had to stay completely silent. Screaming or any other nonverbal sign of pain or regret was considered weak and dishonorable. Samurai were trained well in suppressing emotions and pain. But this was the ultimate challenge. To cut open your own belly and not make a sound. Or a face. Or a whimper. or To pull a razor sharp blade across your stomach and have a look on your face like, it's cool, what's for dinner? Yeah. What, this? Ah, fuck, it's fine. Well, at this point, his survival instincts would begin to kick in. If they hadn't already, just when he kneeled down before he even picked up the blade. So, during fight or flight which I know now they more commonly refer to as fight, flight, or freeze, but for the sake of this, fight or flight, the hypothalamus in the brain works hard to activate the sympathetic nervous and adrenal cortical systems in the body. 
muscles tense and body systems speed up, forcing the organs and nerves to work harder to try to keep you alive. So your brain tells you to immediately stop what you're doing that is harming you, whether you like it or not. You might be ready to die, but your body fights on its own to keep you alive. Kind of makes me think of when like the nun, you know, grabs you by your ear and lifts you up. She's not lifting you up. She's pulling your ear and she's twisting your ear. And you're going with it. And you're going with it. You're, that's why you're on your tippy toes. Your, your, your body is instinctually trying to relieve pain so it's, mm-hmm. you're on your tippy toes. Yeah. So everything in your body systems is telling you, whoa, 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 no, 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 stop, stop, yeah. stop. But you keep going with this stoic look on your face. Yeah, and it's like something your body can't even help. Like, for instance, like in jiu-jitsu, you take the wrist, you turn it sideways and push it down. You're not telling the person kneel. They're going to kneel because they that relieves the pressure. Your mm-hmm. body's just doing what it's supposed to be doing. Yeah. By this point, the samurai would be feeling dizzy from the pain and blood loss and could have gone into hypovolemic shock from lack of blood. Now, symptoms of this include headache, fatigue, nausea, sweating, and dizziness, which was then followed by confusion, weakness, and lightheadedness. You know, all of this on top of your fucking belly being cut open and your intestines falling out. And what's more, you see it. You know, like, that, that doesn't help I don't help think either. they look down. I think they just look straight ahead. I would look down. I'd be like, ha, 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 And that blow would really show because you're wearing a white mm-hmm. gown, you know? Like, that would really clash. Yeah. Now, a lot of people pass out when they go into this kind of shock. Not samurai. And if the samurai was dedicated enough to cut so deep that he sliced the aorta, all of these feelings would have happened almost instantaneously. You make it sound like they were bitches before. You know, like these were tough. These were tough people, but you always thought it was like. But think about it. Well, if you weren't such a bitch and you were dedicated, no. <laughs> if you had to cut open your own belly, most people would just be like, cut a little slice. Uh, uh. If you really jab that fucker in deep enough to hit your aorta... That's deep. You wanted that shit to happen. I would be such it a wuss. It would have probably been the best way to do it, but... I would be such a wuss. I'd be cutting a little tiny, just <laughs> enough to draw blood. like, Seppuku, I'm seppuku Look at me, seppuku. I'm dead, right, guys? Ow! <laughs> hold this. Don't cut my shit. No, hold that. Just keep, keep the sword in there. Ah, oh, Seppuku, damn, this blows. Oh, man. I'm so honorable. Here I go again. Ah. Well, if that happened, I mean, all of these feelings would have happened just boom, 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 quick. Because a severed aorta leads to total exsanguination within just minutes. But this is where the Keisha Kunin comes into play. At either a predetermined moment or at the first sign of pain, emotion, or inability to continue... Your homie does what he does. He bails you out. ...that Keisha Kunin would immediately slice the neck to decapitate the samurai. But it wasn't intended to be a complete severance of the head from the body. What? I didn't know that. The cut was to be done in the manners of Dekikubi, or quote-unquote embraced head. This meant that the spinal column would have to be cut through but the flesh on the front of the neck still needed to be attached. You turn him into a Pez. Which is why a skilled swordsman was often chosen. I, I did not know that. I did not know that about mm-hmm. him. I thought it had to be a clean, like, no. swipe. 
It wasn't supposed to be. You do that, you kind of hunker over, and then it goes to about here, and then it just falls they and had, you fall forward. They were supposed to leave a little flap of flesh right in the front, and this was done so that the head would not roll away. It would, like Billy said, turn into a pez. It would hang down the front of the body as if embraced. Nobody with, wants, nobody wants that pesky head rolling. <laughs> with the body still sitting upright in an honorable position, if everything was done correctly. I'd be that guy that tries to get the head, and you know, you try to pick it up, you kick it further. I'd be, I'd be that. Like, I got it. I got, I got it. Hold on. Hold All on. Blood hold spraying on. everywhere. Oh, 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 Billy, you knock the body over. Billy Butterfingers over here. Sorry, don't mind me. Oh, honor, honor, honor. <laughs> I could pick honor, it up. Honor, I pick honor. it up. The sword would drop. Like ah, God, God, look at me. Okay. Now I gotta do seppuku. <laughs> it would roll. Onto like his <laughs> wife's lap, and I'd be like, "Oh, I fucked it up, guys. Sorry." <laughs> he was such a cool guy. I ruined it. <laughs> oh, this is a bad Wednesday. Sorry. Well, well, the last seconds of this samurai's life might involve seeing or feeling his own head fall into his chest. The phenomenon of lucid decapitation is the idea that the head remains cognizant for a short period of time following decapitation. Some feel that most people would almost immediately lose consciousness from the extreme drop in blood pressure to the brain. Hey, you keep ticking. But there have been many cases of heads blinking or moving their lips for many seconds after the separation. In total shock. It could just be neurons firing and causing random muscle movements. Or some cases could really be consciousness. And I've actually seen this. I've told you guys before. I've seen a lot of gore videos. And... You've seen seppuku? Not seppuku. Oh, oh. Decapitation where I've actually seen the eyes move. Like the ISIS videos where they do close-ups and like high definition and shit. I don't know. No, I'm just saying. I've seen it. And it looks pretty fucking real to me. It doesn't look like random firings of neurons. That's what I would say it was. Your brain is, is starting to short out. I've seen people's eyes move in a determined way. Not just random fluttering of the eyelids or twitches of the muscles. And actually, I think I saw that it may have been a Mexican cartel beheading. I think I've seen it in that, too. I don't want to talk about cartels. They're great people. They're doing good things. I like my head where it's at. They're cool. Yep. But, yeah, so it's quite possible that, you know, you get that final stroke your head falls forward, and you're looking at your own fucking chest with your head in your hands. <laughs> you know, in a way, I think that if that were to happen to me, my last like thought or look on my face is like, success, he did it. <laughs> he did it. He got it. Look at this. Ceremony complete. Let's punch out. Good work, guys. <laughs> All right. Eyes closed. Yeah, there I go. Thanks, Earl. Once the act is complete, all of the items used, including the weapons, the cloths, the mats, everything was destroyed. It was believed that when the abdomen was cut, the soul was released, as you said earlier. So, retaining the samurai's honor with it, the soul was released, and now we've got all this stuff that's been sullied by this earthly dishonor. And so all of this stuff would have to be destroyed. In the cases where there was no ke- Keishakunin to behead them, 
Some samurais chose to perform a more taxing and painful form of seppuku known as, no shit, Jumanji Giri, or cross-shaped cut. It's got the it's got the long bar over the U. Jumanji. Jumanji, yeah. Yeah. Jumanji Giri, yeah. This involved the standard cuts on the abdomen along with the extra cut that I talked about from the bottom of the belly up to the sternum, which would make the cross shape. The samurai was expected to slowly and quietly bleed to death, dying with his hands over his face. <laughs> okay. Just sit there and... Even though no one's watching, you gotta be stoic. Even when it's just you, you can't scream and you have to put your head in your hands. Admiral Takajiro Onishi, who was in charge of kamikaze runs in World War II, committed Jumanji Giri and took 15 hours to die. So he probably should have went deeper and hit that aorta. Yeah. Aortic artery, whatever. Mm-hmm. Aorta. Man, that's rough. In 1912, a general by the name of Nogi performed his own Jumanji Giri as well and was so badass that he fully buttoned back up his dress military uniform over his abdominal wounds before bleeding out. Yeah, that's gangster. <laughs> I kind of expect him to button it up and then kill two guys, two enemy, and then mm-hmm. fall down. He's like, oh God, it's all done now. But I gotta look good while I go out. Yeah, where he's like, fine, it's fine, I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> nope, missed the button. Nope, got it. I'm fine. Totally fine. I'm fine. <laughs> Getting woozy. What's crazy is when he did that, he, he probably buttoned up his shoes like, motherfuckers are going to talk about this for fucking years, man. They're not going to fucking believe this shit. Let them know. <laughs> fucking fell over. <laughs> Tell my story. That's his, that's his death poem. Mm-hmm. Tell my story. Fuck him. Uh, <laughs> just fell down. <laughs> Well, for the ladies, wives of samurais would sometimes commit their own form of ritual suicide to avoid being captured or for dishonor brought on by their husbands. Although it's not technically seppuku, they too would kneel to be seated in death and then they would quickly cut the arteries of the neck using a knife. They usually bound their knees together so that if their body was to fall over, they wouldn't be found in a shameful pose sprawled out on the floor. Like with their legs spread. So they wanted to look demure and honorable even in death. Even covered in blood? Yeah. Okay. Invaders would often enter the homes and find the lady of the house seated facing away from the door, already dead from this act before they even got to the house. If I was a samurai and I had to commit seppuku to restore my honor, you ain't got to do it too. Thanks. Got you covered. Appreciate it. Now, while voluntary seppuku was considered the most honorable way to die by choice, obligatory seppuku was considered the most honorable way to die as punishment and was actually the most common form of seppuku. It was a form of capital punishment for disgraced samurai who had committed the most serious offenses, such as corruption, robbery, treason, rape, or unprovoked murder. The offense or offenses would be explained in full to the samurai being sentenced and he would then be ordered to commit seppuku at a set time, usually before sunset on a specific day. On occasion, a condemned samurai would be uncooperative or would flat out refuse to kill themselves. In some of these cases, an executioner would perform the seppuku while the accused was restrained or only the decapitation was performed, but with all of the setup of a seppuku. So they would still set everything up, 
and have the robes and, you know, the Tonto or whatever sitting nearby. But then they would just pin his ass down and do it for him. This reminds me of something I've read. I don't know if it's true or not. I need to look into it. But the thing I've told you is that when somebody's sentenced to die in Japan, you're not told when. Yeah, I shared that actually, I think, in our Facebook group. Oh, did you? Okay. Shortly after we started the podcast. That way you never really know. Mm -hmm. So you do live your day to like your fullest, as full Mm -hmm. as you can. Which goes into like how the samurai were were, were trained. Uh, uh, um, Bushido, Bushido, really, is fully expect that you're going to die at any moment. That way you appreciate life 100%. You have no regret because... Anytime you're going to have to... And see, the converse of Cut this yourself is, open and button your shit back they up. They knew and, when they were going to die, and they knew they were going to have to do it. <laughs> that does suck. I bet, the, I bet, I bet the, the, the white robe has some big fucking sweat stains yeah. on it. Like, he's like, they're like, all right, right arm goes in. You're like, man, I don't fucking... I don't want... Don't let go of my arm. I don't want to do... Oh, God. Okay. <laughs> Unlike voluntary seppuku... Obligatory seppuku as a capital punishment didn't necessarily absolve the samurai's family of the crime. That's right. The family of the accused were considered guilty too. So depending on the severity of the crime, part or all of the family's property could be confiscated, and the family would have any rank they had stripped, would be sold into long-term servitude, or would be executed. Reminds me of the three-generation rule they have in North Korea. Kind of. This is why many wives of disgraced samurai would kill themselves as well. Fuck it. Because, I mean, at that point, you're going to have all your shit taken away, and you're either going to be forced into hard labor or killed anyway. So, why not? A harsher sentence that was reserved for samurai who committed the worst crimes... They were harsher sentences? Well, it was Zanshu and Sarashikubi, which was decapitation followed by displaying the head. So, in their minds, that was harsher, would be to put you out on display. William Wallace. William Wallace. (laughs) Well, commoners got much harsher sentences than samurai offenders, which usually involved tortuous death methods like kamayudi, or death by boiling. So, even if they were going to put your head on display, that's still a better deal than being boiled alive. So, samurai kind of had it... A little lenient when it came to execution. This sounds like I'm being insensitive to a culture, but do you think that's where, like, tempura really started? Like, they were like, well, I mean, he was bleeding and shitting all over the place. He just pissed himself because he voided his bowels. And, you know, so just, just whip up a batter. That, it, it stays in. You kind of conceal it. You're disgusting. Kind of kind of like a fried mummy. Really? You're Erica, gross. Wait, wait, wait. Really? When you think about when it. When you think about it. <laughs> Well, of course, the Japanese were probably accustomed to this, but uh, Europeans wouldn't be. The first recorded time a European witnessed a formal seppuku was in 1868 during what is called the Sakai Incident. Uh, the, um, or as the British call it, the, what the fuck is he doing incident. <laughs> so on February 15th of 1868, there were 11 French sailors that entered a Japanese town called Sakai, or Sakai. One of those two. What's the last three letters? K-A-I. Kai. Sakai. They didn't get official permission, and their presence caused a panic among the residents of the town. 
Security forces were enacted to send the sailors back to their ship, but a brawl broke out and all 11 sailors were shot dead. Go back to your ship. It's not your land. (laughs) The French captain, Deputit Thouars, protested... Oh, you pronounced that perfectly. Deputit Thouars. I I may not have. It just sounded right. It sounded really good. (laughs) He protested, and financial compensation of $150,000 was paid. And the 29 samurai who admitted to firing shots, as well as their troop leaders, were sentenced to seppuku. The number was decreased to 20 amid fears that the execution of all 29 would inflame anti-foreign sentiment. Well, now, did the emperor say stop them by all means necessary? Because if so, they shouldn't have committed seppuku. And if they acted without orders, however many men that French captain lost, he should... That's how many should have committed seppuku, in my opinion. You killed, let's say you killed 20 of mine, 20 years got to do the deed. Well, let's listen. Dupetit sat in to witness the self-executions. One by one, starting with the leaders of the troop, the samurai cut open their bellies, letting their innards spill out. It's said that Dupetit was shocked by the violent act, and after 11 committed the seppuku, the same number of French sailors that were slain, he asked for a pardon on the remaining nine, which okay. was granted. Okay, that's that's fair. He was like, "This is fucked up. This just do your eleven and then stop, please." <laughs> okay, okay, stop, 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 stop. How many of ours, Lieutenant? Eleven. Fuck it, do it. Him. Okay, stop. Okay, stop. <laughs> I bet when he got home, he was like, how are your travels? Don't fucking go to Japan, ever. <laughs> They're just waiting to fucking rip each other open. Well, there's some other witness cases here. The British ambassador to Japan in the 1860s, Algernon Freeman Mitford, lived within sight of where the 47 Ronin are buried, which I was going to include in this episode, but That's I feel... That's an episode itself. They need their own episode sometime in the future. Which is, I mean... In terms of seppuku, badass. Yeah, I understand why they are like. That's like on the on 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 the on the level of like our Wyatt Earp. Mm-hmm. Like that is that's a big, that's a big thing. Yeah. Well, this Algernon wrote a book called Tales of Old Japan, and in it he wrote of his friend's eyewitness account of a seppuku. Quote: Not content with giving himself the one necessary cut. He slashed himself thrice horizontally and twice vertically. Then he stabbed himself in the throat until the dirk protruded on the other side with its sharp edge to the front. Setting his teeth in one supreme effort, he drove the knife forward with both hands through his throat and fell dead. Now that means, and I had to read this slowly to picture to my mind, that he stabbed himself in the side of the neck and that the sharp edge was facing out towards the front of his body. So he pushed the blade all the way through his neck till it came out the other side, sharp edge towards the front, and then with both hands pulled it forward. So And pe- like pulled out his whole throat. Pez dispenser. Yeah. But the other way. Yeah, he just sliced out the whole front of his neck. Just <laughs> gruesome. Algernon also wrote of seppuku he himself witnessed. Quote, 
Taki Zinzaburo in a voice which betrayed just so much emotion and hesitation as might be expected from a man who is making a painful confession, but with no sign of either in his face or manner, spoke as follows. I and I alone unwarrantably gave the order to fire on the foreigners at Kobe and again as they tried to escape. For this crime, I disembowel myself. Okay, that's okay. He gave that order without permission and and they were trying to flee. And I beg you who are present to do me the honor of witnessing the act. Bowing once more, the speaker allowed his upper garments to slip down to his girdle and remain naked to the waist. Carefully, according to the custom, he tucked his sleeves under his knees to prevent himself falling backwards, for a noble Japanese gentleman should die falling forwards. Deliberately, with a steady hand, he took the dirk that lay before him, He looked wistfully, almost affectionately. For a moment he seemed to collect his thoughts for the last time, and then stabbing himself deeply below the waist on the left-hand side, he drew the dirk slowly across to the right side, and, turning it in the wound, gave a slight cut upwards. During this sickeningly painful operation, he never moved a muscle of his face. When he drew out the dirk... When he drew out the dirk... He leaned forward and stretched out his neck. An expression of pain for the first time crossed his face, but he uttered no sound. At that moment, the Kaishku, who, still crouching by his side, had been keenly watching his every movement, sprang to his feet, poised his sword for a second in the air. There was a flash, a heavy, ugly thud, a crashing fall. With one blow, the head had been severed from the body. Oh, so he fucked up, technically. Technically. A dead silence followed, broken only by the hideous noise of the blood throbbing out of the inert heap before us, but which a moment before had been a brave and chivalrous man. It was horrible. End quote. You know, I bet you before he did it, he got with the kaishku. It was like, look, I know you're supposed to stop right at the end. He was like, yeah, this is, this is my honor, too, we're talking about. Like, I get that, I get that, I get that. Listen, Brian. His name was Brian. <laughs> Listen, That's Brian. an awesome samurai name. Listen, Brian, he ain't from here. Let's really do it up. Craig, this is your seppuku. I know, Brian. Jeez. <laughs> but I mean, really give him a show. And I ain't going to make a fucking sound. You sure? Because we've seen a couple of them. I'm not even going to move my goddamn face. <laughs> Craig, that's crazy talk. Brian, I got this. <laughs> when I lean forward, you give it everything. <laughs> well, obligatory seppuku as a capital punishment was abolished in 1873. Hold on. Just before I just thought of this, this just popped into my head right before he, like, when he leaned down and gave that one little expression of pain. I bet you, like, for, like, that split second, he was like, yeah. Enjoy your fucking show. And then just, boom! (laughs) Thump, 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 thump. Well, obligatory seppuku as a capital punishment was abolished in 1873, but voluntary seppuku continued in large numbers until near the end of World War II, when it was committed in high numbers to avoid being captured by opposing forces. But it still happens every once in a while. One of the most famous cases of seppuku happened in 1970, by Yukio Mishima, which is the pen name of Kimitaki Hirayoka. Yukio was a Japanese author, poet, playwright, actor, model, film director, nationalist, anything else you can think of. He wore a lot of hats. 
and is considered one of the most important Japanese authors of the 20th century. He was even considered for the Nobel Prize in Literature in 1968. Oh, cool. Aside from all of this, Yukio was also the founder of the Tatanoke, a right-wing militia. Ah, uh, well. On November 25th of 1970, Yukio, along with a few other members of his militia, staged an attempted coup d'etat when they went to Ichigawa Camp, the Tokyo headquarters of the Eastern Command of the Japan Self-Defense Forces. They seized control and took the commander hostage. Yukio wanted to inspire a coup to restore the emperor's pre-war powers. He stepped onto the balcony, hung a banner with a list of demands, and then recited a prepared manifesto to the soldiers below. Was this his death poem, the manifesto? No. Oh. This was him trying to rile up the, the military to overthrow the government to return it to how it was. But instead of inciting a revolt, the soldiers mocked him. So, being shamed, he returned to the commander's office to commit seppuku. His haishikunin was a 25-year-old named Masakatsu Morita. Yukio performed his part of the ceremony, and Morita stepped up to perform his. I know of this. He made several unsuccessful attempts at decapitating Yukio. Oh my god. Before he finally allowed another Tatinokai member, Hiroyasu Koga, to finish the deed. He couldn't hack it. But I'm bummed. Okay, that he was. He couldn't hack it. He couldn't hack it. Because he couldn't. Because he couldn't cut that off. That was pretty yeah. good. That was, uh, that, was, that, that, was, that was punny. Yes. That was up here. We're going up here with that. Woo! So, uh,. Now being We're making fun of a joke, not somebody dying. <laughs> now being shamed himself, Morita knelt down and stabbed himself in the abdomen in an act of seppuku. Because he couldn't hack it. He really did gummy up the works. <laughs> but you know. But his own cuts were too shallow to be fatal. <laughs> so once again, Koga <sighs> performed the Kaishakunin duty, this time for Morita. He just he couldn't hack it. <laughs> He couldn't kill the other guy. He couldn't kill himself. Damn. <laughs> well, the the coup attempt became known as the Mishima Incident in Japan. And, or as uh, they call it, remember that time dude fucked that shit up bad? <laughs> so bad? No, no. Erwin, look at me. Really bad. <laughs> remember that day? <clears throat> That's what they call it. Well, they still thought of Mishima as some great person because the Mishima Prize was established in 1988 to honor his life and works. So, seppuku is referenced or seen in many books, such as the 1975 James Clavell novel Shogun, as well as the TV adaptation in 1980 of the same name, and can also be seen in movies such as The Last Samurai and 2013's 47 Ronin, which hopefully I can watch before we cover them in the future. It's got Keanu Reeves in it. Yeah. Yeah, I know, but I think I'm... Well, I don't know if it's on Netflix or not. I can't remember. Um, it's also in Tenchu, mm-hmm. the PlayStation game. If you play as Ricky Maru, because there are two characters or two storylines, um, one of the bosses you fight turns out you don't have to fight him at all. Yeah. Um, he, you, you know, he, the, your character in the video game tells him that he brought great shame on himself, and he says, "You know, you need to kill yourself, and I'll assist you to restore your honor." And he's like, "Yes, you're right," and then does it, which 
is graphic, but if you play the video game for the first time, you're like, oh, thank God, I don't have to fucking fight any. I'll just, <laughs> I'll just watch this. And that cool. would happen sometimes if um, an opposing warrior or enemy thought that you fought very well and bravely, they would often offer up their services as the Kaishakunin. So, like the. So, so your own enemy could so you're be saying your like executioner. The of the enemy. If enemy he general. thought you were worthy of it, if and he you thought, thought you really best. put up a good fight, mm-hmm. that's cool. I, can, I respect that. They would say, "Hey, don't pick your homeboy. I'll do it. I'll do it. Good game, bro. Yeah, type of thing." Where else? Um, the movie um, Hacksaw Ridge. I believe that's done. Um, fuck, there's another one. I think Flags of Our Fathers. I'm sure there's a lot. Uh, but there's one that was done on about Iwo Jima and everything. But they didn't do it the, they didn't do it traditionally. They would like, in Japanese, scream out whatever chant they did, and they just pulled the pin in the grenade and they put it right underneath their chin and just let it blow. But seppuku literally means like to cut the belly open. Right. So, but that wasn't. It isn't ridge. quite the same as, like we said in the beginning. This isn't the same as just the trend we're seeing with suicides. This is a ritualistic honor killing of oneself. Right. In order to either keep your honor or restore your honor. And it's like we said at the beginning of the episode. This isn't about suicide. It's about culture. Mm-hmm. This is how they see it. And a ritual that they performed in said culture. Yeah. That was quite graphic and we thought it fit in well. <laughs> Not with what happened recently. Like I said, I wanted to do this for a while. With the macabre part of the show. My timing sucks. <laughs> And there's nothing wrong with them thinking that about their culture. If that's their culture, that's fine. That's that's totally fine. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know of any Americans who would have the guts <laughs> to pull this off <laughs> and not fucking make a sound, not move a muscle in your face. I, I couldn't do it. I think we have, as Westerners, I think we have a different uh, uh, set of... Humility, we'll, we'll, you know, we'll own up. Look, I fucked up. Hey, I failed. Blame me. Don't blame anyone else. But like, it, it, like if I was wronged and the person's like, "Look, I'm sorry," I would never be like, "You should probably fucking kill yourself." They'd be like, "What? No, 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 no. Let's not fucking go off the rails here." Like, no, no, it's okay. I'll cut your head off for you. And what's weird <laughs> is nowadays a person would be like. We're not fucking Japanese. Like it's already <laughs> set. Like it's, that, that culture is already well known for doing that. What do you think this is? Eleven eighty. I think even that was even like joked about on Saturday Night Live. Belushi's character, the samurai, the mm-hmm. chef samurai. I think like he would try to like kill himself with his with his little. Topic. And I think a lot of people actually mispronounce Harakiri as Harry Carey. No, it, they probably do, but Harakiri mm-hmm. actually. That's even in Mortal Kombat. One of the earlier Mortal Kombat, Mortal Kombat 3, I want to say. You have the Fatality, the Friendship, the Babality, and the Harakiri. Yep. Part 3 or Part 4, I can't remember. Well, um, in the ending cutscene of Call of Duty Black Ops 3, zombie map... <laughs> Zetsubo no Shima. A version of Takayo Masaki from an alternate reality performed seppuku... And his soul is collected into the summoning key. I don't know that. I don't. Yeah, I, don't I don't do either. multiplayer no more. And I, I never did zombies. It just got me too angry. Yeah. So if you do play that game, I guess you can look for that. Oh my god! 
Guys, if you play that game or if you can get to that part, screenshot it and put it on our Facebook page. I want to see it. Yeah. I, I don't know what even this is. That'd be kind of cool. And I hate Black Ops 3. Because the graphics on the original Tenchu were not that realistic when you think about it now. Now, at the time. <laughs> at the time, they were the shit. This is the most realistic shit I've ever seen in my life. Fucking ever, ever. <laughs> I don't care if it takes 10 minutes to load the next screen. This is awesome. You know, something I always had a problem with with Tenchu is everybody else speaks with a very thick Japanese accent except your character. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like like the, the, the part where the, the dude committed a seppuku, you know? He was like, Ricky Maru, the character you were playing, was like, you have brought great honor upon yourself. Kill yourself to show Lord Goda you still have honor. I don't know. It, yeah, he was like, <laughs> and yeah, that's the thing that they say. It's like, I don't know. I don't know. But he was like, I never expect Lord Goda to catch me. Mm-hmm. You know, thank you for letting me have this honor. And I'm like, what the fuck? How come Ricky Maru sounds like he's from Ohio, but the guy he's trying to kill sounds like he is really from Japan and really tried hard to say that sentence in English? And we loved this game. when It, it was on the original PlayStation, right? Yeah, it was on the original. Yeah. I'll still play it. Yeah. It's we fun. We love this game, and you said that they're coming out with a, a new yes, one? Yes, on PlayStation 4. On PlayStation 4. There's going to be a new Tenchu. So if anyone's into that kind of stuff... Yay! It's coming... The whole stealth thing, which really made me fall in love with Metal Gear. That's a different discussion for a different day. Yeah. We could just hit stop recording. We could talk about that all night. <laughs> all right. I think Billy wants to wrap things up. So, uh, Such a good game. Thanks for listening to this episode, guys. If you liked what you heard, please get on iTunes and leave us a five-star rating and a review. It really helps with the visibility of the show. It makes us easier to find. We know it can be a total pain in the ass, but we would really appreciate it. It would help us a lot. And please check out the other great podcasts on the Murderly Network and show them some love. We are so completely amazed to be with a network and especially with so many absolutely wonderful podcasts. And you guys have made this happen for us and we can't thank you enough. Thanks, guys. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Martinis and the Macabre and on Twitter at Martini underscore Macabre. Be sure to join our fan page on Facebook, friends who like Martinis and the Macabre. We love interacting with you guys, so feel free to post whatever you like on the pages and feel free to share our posts. If you would like to support the show financially, please go to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash martinis and the macabre and make a pledge. Even just $1 a month gets you access to our patron-only audio each month, and for just a few dollars more, you can get some exclusive goodies. And once again, thank you to our patrons, Kate, Hunter, Cooper, and Bridget. You guys have our undying love. Kisses and misses. <laughs> Visit our website, martinisandthemacabre.com, to learn a little about us, listen to our complete episode catalog, or to listen to all the songs created by Minimus Noah that we use at the end of each episode. And keep listening, because another one will be at the end of this episode. And be sure to find his official album release called Views on iTunes, Spotify, and many other music providers. There's links you can click on the website that will take you directly to that. For any questions, comments, or topic suggestions, shoot us an email at martinisandthemacabre at gmail.com or you can use the contact page on the website. And as you heard at the beginning of this episode, we put in a promo from Affirmative Murder. I've recently started listening to them. They're one of our podcast family members now. Podcast cousins. And they're really funny, so you guys should check them out. Show them some love. And once again, 
thanks so much for listening, for helping us reach this milestone in our podcasting career. And stay safe, Snuggle Bunnies. We'll Eric, see you in two weeks. Erica, I just bought the movie. Bought what movie? 47 Ronin. <laughs> I just bought it. Well, I guess we got to go watch that now. Yep. <laughs> stay safe, Snuggle Bunnies. See you in two weeks. Bye. Bye.